Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. You know what I realized as well as I was sitting there? Parents, if you want to have your kids worn out by the time they get home ready for bed, send them to VBS. <laughs> I helped uh, Tomas this week with a lot of the games. And uh, that was tiring because the kids wanted me to play. But I had a great fun time. It was an awesome time. And it's a mark, a good mark of a church that there was actually just as many, if not more, parents and adults there to ensure that this week succeeded. Amen? So thank you, especially to all of our volunteers, to make this happen. Let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for, Lord, the opportunity to gather together as a church family. Lord, we've been able to celebrate uh, this past week, Lord, for all that you've done. Uh, to lead uh, our children into uh, learning to become uh, better equipped disciples for you for the kingdom. And thank you also for the many volunteers who have made this possible. Now, as we uh, open the word, uh, as we talk about the last chapter of Mark, be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. J. Stuart Holden tells of uh, a story where there was an old Scottish mansion close to where he had his little summer house. And on the walls of one room are filled with sketches made by very important, notable, distinguished artists. And the practice began when a pitcher of soda water accidentally fell over and splashed onto the wall. It left a horrible stain. This wall had just been decorated. Now, there was another famous artist at the time, Lord Lansier, who was a guest at the house. And one day when the family had gone to run an errand, someplace where they went, he stayed behind. He took a piece of chalk, and with a few very easy, masterful strokes, he created an outline which would eventually become a beautiful waterfall, bordered by trees, and wildlife. He had turned a disfigured wall into one of the most beautiful depictions of life in that area. You see, Lord Lansier had restored that wall. Today, we're going to talk about the topic of restoration. Now, last week, We'd talked about Mark 15. We'd focused on the death of Jesus, one who was innocently murdered. One of the key takeaways, though, was that of the Roman centurion who recognized who Jesus was. He was what? The son of? The son of God. Unfortunately for Jesus, where did all of Jesus' friends and family, for the most part, go? They had abandoned him, save for Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome. There's a lot of, Ma a lot of Marys in the Bible, amen? <laughs> it's a common name. And though they watched from a distance, even verse 41 mentions that these women had followed him and helped him and provided for his needs. Jesus had backup. And guess who carried Jesus' ministry? The women. 
Now, given that it was preparation day when he died, Friday, Joseph Arimathea, a member of the council body, which should not go unnoticed, he had a ranking authority in the Jewish leadership, sticks his neck out because he boldly, not quietly, boldly goes to Pilate. And he asks for Jesus' body. And Pilate is kind of surprised by this already. He's already dead. It's only been a couple of hours. Normally, a crucifixion can take much, much longer than that. But for Jesus, it wasn't long. The centurion confirmed that he had died. And so Pilate gives Joseph the body when they place him in a tomb wrapped in linen. Imagine the headspace now of Jesus' friends, his family, his disciples. We talked a little bit about this when we did our series on doubt. Imagine he's died, and you have all of Sabbath to marinate and contemplate, what now? Do you think it was a very restful Sabbath for them? I don't think so. I don't think I would be able to rest. But after Sabbath ends, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, the ones who had stood at a distance, wanted to do something special for Jesus. So they went and bought uh, they, they, they bought some spices so that they can go what? Anoint Jesus' body. Though he was dead, I don't think they expected him to, re- to rise. They wanted to honor him. And so when the Sabbath was over, let's go to Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Solomon, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. I love this first verse because it shows the passion, the dedication, and the love, especially, that they had for Jesus, one of respect. In their minds, they simply want to just honor and share their love for him. Of course, they also had to be mindful of the time. They could have probably gone Saturday night, but more than likely, it probably wasn't the safest time to go. And, and so they also wanted to honor the Sabbath. And so they waited until morning the next day. And so very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? The stone was relatively large. It was one that when you moved it, it essentially was put in place. It took a lot of effort to be able to move this stone. But in verse 4, when they looked up, they saw that the stone was very large, had been what? Rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has what? Risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They They said nothing to anyone because they were what? They were afraid. Now, after this, there may be a little elephant in the room. After this, verse 9, is there anything different about verses 9 through 20 in your Bible? Does it look a little different? 
Maybe it's italicized. Maybe there's a little note in between. Mine says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. Okay, let's address the elephant in the room. Is verses 9 through 20 a later edition? Quite possibly, because how was the Bible written? It was written in what languages? Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And eventually, it had to what? Be translated. Eventually, it was translated into Latin. It had to be translated into Spanish. It had to be translated into German, English. It's a lot of time between the time that it was written to now. It's very possible that some well-meaning person wanted to add this little addition. It wasn't quite complete because you also have to keep in mind what was happening during the time that Mark's gospel was being written. Was it a very safe place for Christians? No, what was happening to them? They were being persecuted. And, and so there's this period where they're having to be careful, but I think there's also, there's a theological point that perhaps Mark is trying to make with just these first eight verses to conclude. But it's, it's an awkward ending. But if you read the rest of the verses, does it fit the rest of Mark and especially the first eight verses? Let's continue, okay? So trembling and bewildered, the women went out, fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now in verse nine, when Jesus first rose early, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene and of whom he had driven out seven demons. He went and told those who were with him, who had been with him, who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them who were walking in the country. They returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11, 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever doesn't believe will be what? Condemned. And all these things will accompany them, accompany those who believe. And in my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak to new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people. They will get well. And after the Lord had, Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Now, if you read, I, I, unfortunately, I read a little quickly because we just don't have time, but does it fit similar to the first eight verses? It reads a little differently, and it, as well, he's kind of repeating already what's already taken place. Now, most of this is true in that the other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John talk about this, but there's also the way that it's written. If you understand the Greek, there's a number of verses in here that are not the way that Mark would have written. Stylistically, it's different. And even especially verses 17 and 18, where it talks about um, driving out demons, is that in the other Gospels? It's not. So some of you are wondering, can we trust the Bible? 
Absolutely. Because it is the word of God. Amen? We, we believe it by what? Faith. And if we look at the whole narrative from Genesis to Revelation, I still believe that even though somebody maybe well-intentioned tried to add this, it doesn't fit the narrative. And frankly, textually, if it's not in the oldest manuscripts, which is the manuscripts you want to use to base your foundation, right? It, it can be, well, for some maybe this is a little uncomfortable. But my friends, I don't think we have to fear about this. In fact, one of the things that I'm going to propose is let's maybe have a day where we talk about the Bible, how it came about, and let's just be honest with some of the challenges that face it. Is that fair? Yes. All right. Okay. So hold me accountable to it. We'll talk about this soon. But my friends, I think that Mark has an argument here as well that we can take with verses 1 through 8. So this all happens. And in verse 8, uh, sorry, in this passage, when they look up, they see uh, this angel. He's like, they're surprised. They're bewildered. And, and to a degree, I think, would you be scared if an angel popped up? Because you don't know. I mean, some of us maybe, hey, that would be great. But to not to expect, you're expecting Jesus to be there and he's not, they could have thought, well, maybe somebody stole him. But they didn't. Jesus went up and about and left already. Because three times, what did Jesus promise? That he would die and resurrect. So they should remember that. Remember, there's a story, this common narrative of the disciples, they listen, but they don't necessarily get it until later. That they have that aha moment. But one of the things we have to be reminded, and I've said this before, is that the cross is meaningless without the resurrection. The cross is meaningless without the resurrection. Anybody can die, right? But can anybody just resurrect? No, only God can do so. Sunday morning brings much more of a stronger impact than anything because, and I'm not taking away the fact that Jesus suffered and died. That was horrible. But Sunday is what gives power to the promise because it's there that not only did Jesus die and he sacrificed himself for us, but he rose again, proving that he has conquered death. Amen? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, after death, something new begins over which all powers of the world of death have no more might. And it's here that we find our confidence, our strength that not only has Jesus overcome the world, that he has conquered death, he wants to grant us eternal life, salvation, and a new life with him. Amen? Amen. There's also a very specific verse that, you know, for all the many times that I've read this, I've, I've, I've accidentally skipped over this. But in verse 7, it says, But go tell his disciples and Peter. Why does the angel single out Peter? He could have also said Matthew, could have said Andrew or James, but why Peter? Before Jesus died and took him in, what, did, what, did, what was Peter bragging about? He would never what? 
deny, abandon Jesus. But yet three times he abandoned him. And did Jesus inform him, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times? Imagine his headspace now. Do you think he's feeling really great right now? No, far from it. Far from it. <clears throat> I, th- I love this fact because, I love this part because Mark is being intentional. Just like the book of John, where Jesus, he restores him over breakfast. The angel is also, Mark is, through this angel here, is pointing out that Peter especially needs to be reminded and to know that God has risen. And ultimately, as we'll find in in John's gospel, God not only forgives, but restores him. Jesus takes it upon himself to be able to restore. Because if Jesus, sorry, if Peter did not have this point of meeting with Jesus and being restored, do you think he could have become the leader that he was later in the church? Doubtful. I think it was that very, not only the restoration, but the affirmation of Jesus asking him to feed the lambs and the sheep is what gave him further confidence to be able to face all of the things that he and also the other disciples faced. Jesus, along with Paul, were some of the biggest, strongest leaders in the church, and they were faithful, and they, they faced a lot. But it was a turning point in his life. And just like Peter, I think Jesus also wants, to know, wants us to know that not only that he loves us, he forgives us, but also wants to see us restored. Amen? How many of you messed up? <laughs> Is anybody scot-free from messing up? No, because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Later on in Romans says, but thanks be to God. Essentially, he has died for us and he desires to save us. Amen? So, we're out of time. I'm going to have to cut this part. <laughs> the question that we have to ask ourselves then is, What's next? You see, trembling, the, Mark leaves his gospel with trembling and bewildered. The women went out, fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's it. You'd think that's the worst ending ever, right? <laughs> but, you know, there's other parts of the Bible where stories and even another book end similarly. In, God, in, in the Gospel of Luke, in the prodigal son's story, the prodigal son returns home. Dad's excited that his son has come back. And what does he do? He throws a party in honor of his son who's come back. And yet, who was not at the party? His brother, his older brother. And what does he tell his dad? Because his dad's like, hey, come on, let's join us. And he's like, no, I've been faithful to you all of these years. And now you, you, you actually lift up, prop up this son who's disrespected you, wished you were dead because he wanted his inheritance early. And you're going to celebrate him now, now. But the question begs is, Where does the story end? 
we don't know if the brother went in or not. And I think that was intentional because that's a question for the church represented by the brother. Do we want to bring people in who have messed up or maybe shamed themselves? And we know about them. And when they come back, are we going to open our arms and welcome them back home? We should. We should. But we have this thing called pride in our hearts and grudges. May we never live with grudges. Amen? May we be the accepting, loving church. The other story that we can we can refer to is the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, we know he swallows a fish because he didn't want to go to Nineveh to tell them that they're misbehaving. And God wants him to go there. So he ends up being in the fish for a while. He gets spat out. He goes to Nineveh, and he shares what God wants to be shared with them. And what happens? Do they just keep on going what they're doing, or do they repent? They repented. And at the end, what does Jonah do? He goes off, and he starts to sulk, saying, I knew you were a forgiving God. Hmm. Wouldn't you think that this whole town is being saved? Wouldn't you want to rejoice about that? You should. But Jonah, he's got some, he's got some grudges with these people that <laughs> has been going on for a long time. He doesn't want these people to be saved. He wants them to be destroyed. And so it says in verse, there's a plant that grows. And, and, and by the way, he's, Jonah's having a temper tantrum to the point where he says he wanted to die. It's better for me to die than to live. And, and this, com this plant that had com brought comfort and everything had, uh, had died and after a, a scorching east sun. And so the Lord says, but the Lord, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And, I, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also the many animals? That's how it ends. I think between this story, the prodigal son, and also the ending of, of Mark, the authors intentionally leave it this way because the question now is what's next? What are we going to do with all the lessons that we have learned of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, of salvation, of standing up, standing up for those who are weaker? of Jesus ministering not just to the Jews, but to everyone. Because remember, did Jesus just stay on one side or did he cross the lake several times? He went to them. That's also a lesson to us. I think we sometimes get so comfortable. Let's invite people here. But that's the easy route. The hard route is actually getting to know people outside and going to people and then inviting them to come here. Our calling is to go and share Jesus with others. And that's the next, what's next? Is God is inviting us to participate in this great adventure of being Jesus' disciples, of being Jesus' followers.
to share the good news with others. How has God impacted your life? And that's all we need to primarily share with others. How has God impacted your life? Because people want real. They don't want just a, a Bible verse. Anybody can read the Bible. They want to know that God is fundamentally true and real because they can see it in your life. So, my friends, may we be faithful in the calling that God has called us to. So, where in your life have you messed up and need grace and healing? I got a long laundry list, I'm sure, if I were to think about it. Where in your life have you messed up and need grace and healing? My friends, go with humility and confidence. Humility, confident, but humble in Jesus, that he has overcome the world, that he has died for you, and desires to have a relationship with you. Amen? Amen. I hope and pray that the last couple of months have been a blessing as we've done an overview of Mark. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I want you to go back with all of the themes that we have learned, the names of God, and also, uh, well, just the many different themes. Go back, reread it, and may you see it with new eyes, and I pray that you will be blessed. Father in heaven, thank you for all that you've done, for who you are. Be with us, Lord, as a, as a church. May we be faithful to you in the calling of bringing people here into your home. May we go with confidence out, but with humility. Give us the words and the wisdom to know how to share you with others. Give us opportunities, Lord, not just to go out, but provide opportunities. And above all, Lord, may we be a reflection for you. Help us, Lord, to bask in your love and grace. Thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Grace and peace.